That's great. I mean, this is this is harm reduction just in a moment here, like taking a tack and digging some gunk out of the mic in your phone. That is like the improvisation that we always need, you know. <laughs> you know what? I said it was a tack. It was actually a short camp. <laughs> <laughs> this is the first for the show um, of solving an audio problem with a syringe. So there's really nothing that harm reduction can't do. Exactly, and- right? I'm Garth Mullins. This is Crackdown. Episode 19, Losing Hope. It's August 31st, 2020. International Overdose Awareness Day. But so what? Who needs to be made aware? Who among us can't see the corpses piling up from this endless war? Lost friends and comrades are never far. I feel Tracy Morrison's hug in my dreams. I see Sharice Kiwatin's face, eyes closed, in that coffin at the Glenhaven Funeral Home. And Bronwyn Charman's last text is burned into my brain. This is a city of ghosts and lost things, she wrote. This has not been an easy time for any of us. Some long days, some sad days. I'm struggling, haunted by these ghosts and by my own demons. I can't sleep. I oscillate between grief and rage, or I'm numb. We're surrounded by death, and I think, so this is permanence. I've been around this war my whole adult life. There's never been an armistice or a Christmas ceasefire. Sometimes it gets a little quieter for a year or so. But I've never seen things as bad as they are now. It's been a lethal summer here in British Columbia. We broke all records for overdose deaths month after month. More people are dying from the contaminated drug supply than from murder, suicide, car accidents, and the coronavirus combined. But the Premier would rather us not compare overdoses and COVID-19. Well, I I just think that these are two separate things. We have an insidious virus that affects anyone at any time. And we have uh, an opioid crisis that involves people using drugs. Uh, Those are choices initially, and then they become dependencies. So once people make those choices, they no longer are in a position to stop making those choices without intervention, without medical intervention. So I think they're two completely different things. The fact that the numbers are similar is a coincidence, but I don't believe there's anything we can learn from that. Wash your hands, physical distancing, wear a mask if you can't do that. Those are conscious decisions people can make to protect themselves. When you're addicted to opioids, you're not making conscious decisions other than getting your next opioid. He did apologize for these comments, but I know truth when I hear it. And that sounded like his truth to me. Who has a real choice in all of this? The government does, and they're choosing to let us die. Yeah, sometimes drug use is a choice. But people also choose not to wear a mask or go to a party during a pandemic. Society doesn't do a moral calculation before rendering aid. At a car crash, first responders don't measure skid marks to make sure the vehicle wasn't over the speed limit 
before they break out the jaws of life. But for our premier, there are the deserving and the undeserving. And we are unworthy. The wrong kind of people are dying. No wonder nothing gets done. No wonder the response feels stalled. There's a lot of nice talk and crocodile tears. But there's still no safe supply here. And we're still criminalized. With the Premier's words still ringing in my ears, my phone pinged a meeting request. It was for one of those government committees that some of us sit on. Years of meetings to talk about unfucking the methadone system or getting prescribing processes to work. It's not glamorous at all. It's more like the kids' table at Thanksgiving. So I wrote them and said, I quit. I'm not going to hang around and help you dig graves. And I wasn't alone. Other activists and organizations walked out too. Earlier this summer, the public safety minister ordered the demolition of tent camps. Oppenheimer Park, the Hood's rec room, has been behind a blue metal fence ever since, except for one beautiful hour a couple of weeks ago. We broke open the fence, marched in, and reoccupied the space. We passed the mic and eulogized all the people we'd lost over the last few months. Meanwhile, the cops massed at the fence. It was great to be back at the park, great to be with each other again, but people did look haggard. And just when you reckon things can't get much bleaker, they do. We get a call from Tim Slaney. He's pretty upset. Tim is an outreach worker at the Lethbridge Supervised Consumption Site, or SCS, in Alberta. It's one of the busiest in the world. And the government is shutting it down. Alberta is in the middle of an overdose crisis too, but the United Conservative government is cagey about releasing the actual statistics. That government campaigned against harm reduction. In fact, Premier Jason Kenney was a cabinet minister in Stephen Harper's federal government, which fought harm reduction in Canada for almost a decade. So it seemed to me that they were really just waiting for an opportunity. But I think, what the fuck can I do about it? How can we help Tim? So my name's Tim Slaney. Um, I'm currently an outreach worker at the Lethbridge uh, Supervised Consumption Site. Uh, prior to that, um, I founded Lethbridge Supports Harm Reduction, which is uh, kind of like a pro-harm reduction advocacy group. And I'm a former IV injection user. So what, what was your, what, what were you mostly using? Like, tell me about your drug use a little bit. I, myself, I was uh, heroin for years and years and years, mostly methadone now. Yeah, yeah. So I, uh, I definitely liked uh, heroin. I mean, out here, it's always kind of been, been fentanyl. So it was mostly fentanyl. To be honest, I would put whatever I could get a hold of into my veins for a long time. I was uh, speedballing or using weird internet chemicals. And how did you first encounter harm reduction? Harm reduction? Well, um, I mean, obviously, if you're, if you're putting stuff into your body, you, you need a way to do it. So I had to find a needle exchange. And so that's what, that's, what, that's what harm reduction meant to you at the time, is basically uh, new syringes. Yeah, absolutely. And it was, uh, it was kind of my, my gateway to it. Um, I was lucky enough that I lived really nearby uh, our local harm reduction place. Uh, so I'd start going there for syringes, and uh, I kind of found that in an average day, these were kind of the only friendly faces I, I saw, you know. Right. And what's Lethbridge like? Uh, Lethbridge is a very small, very Bible Belt uh, community. Um, we're, we're very rural. Uh, we've got a population of 100,000, but that, that doesn't kind of sink into our culture at all. It's, uh, it's a lot of farmers, a lot of ranchers, and a lot of oil guys. 
Right. So when you think of Alberta, uh, Lethbridge is really what you're thinking about when you think of Alberta. We've got, you know, the, the big trucks. We've got churches on every corner. Right. And so what's it like being a drug user there? Oh, it's uh, it's rough. Uh, let me tell you, there's uh, there's really not much in the way of uh, any options. If you're a drug user, uh, we don't really have much in the way of uh, social services. There's... Basically, unless you're unless you're okay to go to NA meetings for the rest of your life, there's there's nothing there. There's a ton of stigma, right? Kind of place where it's it's accepted to you know head down to the park and throw things at people who are who are using drugs, and that that's considered a hobby for a lot of people. And do you guys ever get uh, like a couple of guys out in a pickup truck pull over and beat on you or something like that? Like, oh yeah, all, all the time. Right. I've, I've had some experience. I've had a little experience of being in a small town and, uh, that's what I remember. Yeah. To be honest, especially, uh, working at the site there, I've had so many people like chuck bottles at me out of trucks. It doesn't even phase me anymore. Right. When did, uh, when did fentanyl first come there? Like you said, it's always been there, like always in your drug use. Do you remember it arriving or was that before your time? Uh, I, it kind of it kind of eased in. We always had a huge pain pill problem in Lethbridge. Um, mm-hmm. So what we started noticing is we started getting a lot of pressed pills. And right. then uh, when, once everyone got used to the pressed pills and this idea that you'd split open your oxy and it'd be, you know, rock hard and green all the way through, uh, we started getting that Kool-Aid stuff on the street probably around 2017. So it used to be pain pills, and then what happened? Like, did, did, it's because they all, all the doctors everywhere in North America started cutting people off pain pills. Is that how the pain pills dried up in Lethbridge? Basically, yeah. And we're such a small town that uh, I think we're reliant on just a handful of doctors. So when one or two of them got out of it, uh, the whole town was kind of cut off. When's the first time you heard uh, about the idea of a supervised consumption site? Oh, I'd say uh, probably right around the time I was I was stopping using drugs. Actually, uh, they told me about it right when I was going in to get my last kits in naloxone to, you know, kind of prep me while I got onto methadone. I want to say uh, like 20, 2017, actually late twenty seventeen. And and what did you think when you heard about it? I, I thought it was a great idea. Um, I used to be so afraid of overdosing and dying that you know I'd. I'd use and then I'd go stand on my front lawn. So if I went Holy down, someone would find my body, shit, you know? I did the same fucking thing here. I would really? use and then run out of my apartment and just be on the street. Like I'd stand on the sidewalk. So if I went down, I was just like, oh, I hope somebody finds me. Yeah. And honestly, like a lot of the time I was like, you know, I don't even care if I, you know, if I go down and I die, at least I want someone to find my body, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It was. It was awful, and of course, all all the neighbors know something's up when you got some guys up on his front lawn all day for no reason, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just pacing there, you know. So, so you you told me about Lethbridge, and then this idea of the safe injection site or the safe consumption site comes. Like, what did you think? Did you think, oh yeah, this would be perfect for this place, or no, this place will never accept it? It's impossible. Like, what went through your mind there? Well, like, definitely, um, I thought, like, this is what this place needs. Like, everyone I know um, is so worried about the fentanyl here. It's everywhere. Um, but at the same time, like, we're so conservative that the second it trickled out into the public, I've never seen um, a city with so much backlash against, like, one issue in one place in my life. Would you say it's, is it the main political issue there? Is it the main thing? Oh, by far. Um, we've had people build their political careers on it. And honestly, I think it's ruined a couple. It's, uh, 
the hot button issue. Um, every every week there's, you know, just it's in the news. Every week uh, I've got some politician talking about it. There's been protests with hundreds of people on the street. I mean, we don't protest anything. So to get even right. a dozen people out is exceptional. And then here we go. We've got people being like, you know, we had 300 people out for this, 400 people. So with all this political controversy, you decided you wanted to work there at some point. Oh, of course. Like the second I heard about it, it was it was like my dream job being able to do something and, and help other people that have been through this instead of just watching it, you know. And what do you do there? Uh, I'm a community outreach worker. So my job right. is to be on the street, uh, kind of make contact with the clients. Um, I serve as kind of like a troubleshooter for um, problems in the community. So if someone's sleeping, someone's camped out there, it's kind of my job to, to get in touch with them and kind of try to find a way to keep them out of the police's radar and kind of come to a happy resolution for everyone. So, to, to, like, paint me a picture. If someone was to make a movie in there, what would it look like? It was uh, in the side of an old nightclub. Um, it's almost like the size of, like, a, a small Canadian tire. Um, so just, just a huge area, um, big parking lot, and we would have, uh, you know, 20, 21 seats inside, uh, eight inhalation and, and 13, uh, 13 injection. They'd be wall-to-wall clients. The uh, second the seat opened up, another person would come in to fill it. Um, our waiting room would be always be at capacity, 20 people, another you know, 30, 40 in the parking lot. And with that, you, you kind of saw like the whole the whole drug culture and like a microcosm. It was uh, kind of the only place everyone could kind of be there. And that, that was their spot, you know. Right. So I'm, I'm imagining this big, big open space and, and the booths, but obviously there's other stuff happening in there too. What, what else did you guys do? So we had the, the housing program. Uh, that was our big one. Um, as well as that, uh, we had our career health programs and some cultural programs too. So it was almost like a, a one-stop shop. If, uh, if you had a problem with addiction, you know, you could come, you could do your shot, you could use safely. Um, then you could just walk through two doors and you could talk to your housing worker about getting into apartment. You could uh, speak with the cultural programming. You could do our hip hop for healing, um, you know, lay down a track, talk about your life and what's bothering you. Sorry, hang on a sec. You could lay down a track like there was recording facilities in there? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we had, we called it hip hop for healing and uh, it, it was hugely successful. We had, uh, I mean, obviously it was a really small studio, but uh, we had uh, the guy, he's a professional producer, he was working for the site, and we got so much shit for having that, but, like, when you get these guys who feel like they won't amount to anything, and they're able to, like, go on Spotify and play this track that they made after eight, talking about their life, like, they, they took pride in that, that was something that, like, they made, and that was good, and that you couldn't take away from them. I'm fully beaded, man, and my moccasins won't rest Cause I'm fully beaded, yes I'm fully beaded on this mix, yes I'm blessed, I'm fully beaded, no rest Cause I'm fully beaded up in this mix, yeah These white folks are greedy They infected our people with disease And whiskey and drink them And sign in their treaty There's no more her story We threw, um, here we threw a concert, uh, in the, in the park 
and we got to showcase a bit of that, some local artists, and I mean, it was it was great. It was, yeah, it was just a time for everyone to shine, you know, show that uh, it was it wasn't just a, a place of like misery and like dankness where people have this idea that you know you come in, everyone's got their head bowed and. You know, they overdose right away and they get revived and they just kind of shuffle around. It wasn't like that. It was a lot of people who, you know, were just living their life. You know, they were doing their best to survive. And, you know, if you, if you gave them a chance to thrive, they would. Calls to defund the Lethbridge SCS started pretty much as soon as it opened. There was a group of local homeowners and business people, and Councillor Blaine Higgin proposed a motion to Lethbridge City Council to defund the site. We're number one. That's normally something you want to hear when it applies to your favorite sports team. However, Lethbridge is now hearing it for the wrong reasons. We have the busiest drug consumption site in North America. I don't want us to be number one for drug consumption, whether supervised or unsupervised. 200,000 drug uses in our city is not something to be proud of. The Alberta government has been against these places from the start. They commissioned a widely criticized report about SESs across the province. It focused on the complaints of residents, needle debris, and record keeping. The panel was expressly forbidden to examine, quote, the merits of SCS as a harm reduction tool. Merits like saving thousands of lives. In March, the government got an anonymous tip and ordered an audit of Lethbridge SES. The report came back in July, and things did not look good. The audit noted missing receipts, banking irregularities, inappropriate credit card charges, and an unnamed senior executive took home $275,000 one year. So, I mean, obviously, I'm, I, I'm pretty angry about it. Um, I can say, though, that I, I really think um, it was a bit of a hit job the way it was portrayed. These guys, they were they were calling to audit the site long before anything, anything um, out of the ordinary was found. And when when they got a hold of that audit, they they took a hold of every missed receipt and they took a hold of kind of every misfiled expense claim. And they made it sound like we were walking out the door with this stuff. It's just ridiculous. Um, I, I think that uh, they had their eyes on a site to close, and Lethbridge was just the the first one, kind of kind of dumb enough to wander into their crosshairs. Do you remember when you found out that the site was closing? Yeah, they they gathered us all into a room, and they they said, you know, they they pulled funding, they given us a one month notice, and it was it was just awful. Um, you know, just a room full of 100 people who'd been nothing but devote their lives to harm reduction, finding out that, you know, their life work is kind of down the drain. And I mean, what then what happened? Did people gasp or curse or what was the response? There was a lot of anger and, uh, you know, just so much resentment. Um, just this idea that, you know, we we just served them up on a platter everything that they wanted and... You know, just a, a feeling of total, total defeat and betrayal. What do you think? What do you think an appropriate solution to all this would be? I mean, clean house. Um, give it to someone who who's going to run it properly. Establish some oversight, but 
I mean, you, you can't close a service like this. It's the, uh, you know, if, if you find fraud at the hospital, you don't close the hospital. If the fire department executive director is committing fraud, you know, you you don't say, well, too bad, put your own fires. You you fix the problem and you hand it off to someone who who do right by the people that serve. You don't take away the service because at the end of the day, no one's uh, no one's really being punished except for the clients who are out there dying. What's going to happen without the site? Well, it it's already happening. People are starting to die um, in droves. Uh, we're we're a small city. We're a hundred thousand people. So even one or two deaths is it's huge to us, right? Um, right now we've gone from, you know, a death every, every couple months, um, to deaths every couple days. Um, I've seen, uh, seen an ambulance reviving someone or taking someone away from the, the park every day for, for a month now. And that's just going to get worse. Wow. Yeah. That's, sounds like what it's like around here. You know, honestly, I think the conservatives are going to get what they want because there's not going to be anyone left alive to use drugs anymore. Tim, uh, I know you lost somebody recently uh, to overdose, and maybe you could tell me a little bit about who they were and what they meant to you. Yeah, so um, it was uh, my good friend, uh, Crystal. She had uh, lived with me for, for a while while I was using and she was using. And, uh, you know, I, I was lucky enough that I was able to hold on for a little bit uh, till I could, you know, get on methadone, get on Suboxone, kind of get on my feet, and she just didn't. So I, I'd see her around, and I'd check up on her, and I'd, I'd always hope. Um, yeah, so she was uh, just a good friend of mine, and um, I, I I don't even know how to how to sum it up, you know. You, you see someone struggling, and you you hope that you know you can you can do something for them and you, you just can't <laughs> what do you what do you remember about her like what's a little like is there a song she liked did she have a certain turn of phrase i mean she she's always insisted she could play the guitar and she she couldn't she didn't know a single chord but she she'd strum it anyway it was she'd tell you it was uh she'd tell you it was this song or that song and she'd she'd sing the lyrics um but she she couldn't figure out where to put her fingers so she'd just put them wherever they were and you could hear the chords rattling off the off the guitar and yeah just 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 make as much noise as she could I love that kind of music um I live by that uh kind of music that technical talent shouldn't be a barrier <laughs> yeah and she didn't yeah she she didn't care i mean if People did. They tell her, you know, get off that thing. You don't know how to play it, and she basically like, "Fuck off! I'm making music here." So I like that. You know, I think she she just likes having people having people pay attention to her. Like the she was always kind of the star when she walked into a room. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry, man. Yeah, yeah. It's. Uh, I mean. It's just, you know, she she was there and then she wasn't, and it's like the world didn't even didn't even stop to to notice. I mean, I guess that's what we're trying to do is just to get people to stop and notice a little bit. I mean, I guess that's why we're talking about this this morning. Yeah, and she she deserved better than that, and it just 
I just can't get over it. Yeah. Yeah. So this is this is your last day of work today. After after we get off the phone, you're probably gonna I don't know get ready and, and go to work in a little bit. What's that gonna be like? Like, what are you gonna do? Do you got to clean out your desk? And what happens? I mean, they've they've already had us clean everything out. So right now, it's uh, prepare our best for what's gonna come. Um, usually, I go in there and I do nothing but make uh, needle needle packs every day, and hope to God that it'll be enough to, to keep people in clean supplies for the next month or two months or anything we can. What are you going to do this afternoon? Uh, like at work, are you going to make those needle packs up? Yeah, I'm going to go in. I'm going to make as many needle packs as I can. Um, we're getting to the, the end of our needles, unfortunately. And after that's done, I'm going to you know move on to the pipes and do my best to get them into as many people's hands as I can. And then at quitting time, uh, then what happens? Uh, that's honestly kind of it. They're they're gonna activate our fobs and lock the doors, and that's uh, that's gonna be that's gonna be it for harm reduction. Unfortunately, it's almost like something something of a of a whimper, you know. We're we're going out so quietly. Well, that must be really frustrating to you. I mean, I think that's part of why you called me, why you DM'd me and reached out to us, right? Like, you didn't want this to be a whimper. It, exactly. Like, I, we need to fight. Um, this is, we can't just look at our own little world and our own political defeat and figure, well, I'm out of a job or, you know, I lost this round, so it's time to, to go lick my wounds because, you know, they, they, the people who are suffering don't have the option of that. You know, they they're on a clock and they're they're going to get dope sick in an hour or two and they're going to use with or without us and we need to do our best to make sure that you know there, there's someone there to to watch them and make sure that they keep breathing you know i really i hear that and i, I heard that in when you were reaching out to us and i thought well we're just this uh, little podcast thing in vancouver you know we like what can we do we're not maybe we're not the right people to call and i was like i mean maybe there is no one to call. You can't call like the UN or the Hague or whatever and, and get some action. Like maybe there's no one there. And maybe all there is is just for me and you to kind of be mad on the mic and put it out there. And that just, that to me itself also feels like sort of a defeat, you know? Yeah. And I mean, I'm struggling with that. I'm just hoping that, you know, people are going to hear me get angry. People are going to hear you get angry they're going to get angry too. And they're going to realize that, yeah, no one is coming, which means that it's on me to go do something. Cause you know, at the, at the end of the day, we have no one to, to rely on to fix this problem, but ourselves. So what's next for you? What's next for me is, uh, I'm looking at, uh, you know, months of unemployment. I've got nothing but time and I want to get out there and do everything I can to keep harm reduction going. Um, I've got some, some like-minded people who are also losing their jobs and we're talking about going out there on the street uh, on our own and handing out whatever we can afford to hand out and, you know, just, just trying to, you know, trying to, to keep, uh, keep people alive. A mobile SES with three booths will stay on the road after today, but it lacks the capacity and many of the programs of the main site. Thousands will have nowhere to use, and people will die. 
A letter to the Alberta government from many health organizations says, quote, if a hospital CEO was found to have misused funds, it is nonsensical to respond by cutting all the funding and closing the hospital. So today I have no demands, no sermon. I can't tell you that our history of struggle is gonna get us through. The organizations I work with are suffering too. I can't tell you this will be okay. I got nothing. I just want to like repeat that, you know, no one's, no one's gonna, no one's gonna come rescue you. Um, if you're in harm reduction, um, I, I watched this agency bargain with the people who wanted to shut down over and over again. Um, every time some, some, you know, concerned member of the community, some right wing politician would attack us, uh, we'd give something up. We'd give up walking outreach. We'd cut back on the number of needles we gave out. We'd push people off the property. We'd tear down encampments. We'd do everything that they asked for. And at the end of the day, it was never enough because the problem was never that you know, we were giving out too many needles. The problem was never that we were giving them out in the wrong place. The problem is that the people that we were there for existed and that's too much for them. So don't, don't bargain away um, what you stand for, hoping it'll buy you time because it didn't, it didn't buy us a day. And it's, it's okay to, to try to be diplomatic and try to have good relations, but don't compromise because they're, they're not going to compromise. be heard so we speak these words and we're trying to get the treatment that we deserve people need purpose and more compassion so stop stalling this is a call to action gotta be heard we speak these words we're trying to get the treatment that we deserve people need purpose and more compassion so stop stalling this is a call to action I've been thinking about my life and what I'm doing Not just that, but this dream I'm pursuing Hoping I would win this battle that I'm losing And fix my confusion These people keep wishing that I would quit Crackdown is produced on the territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh nations In this episode, we played some tracks recorded at the Lethbridge SCS You heard Fully Beaded by Lonzo Dubious and Buck Back at the Start by Carly B Speak These Words by Lil Brandon, Dubious, Kulichi, and Lonzo. And Dream Big by Lonzo, Leland, and Dubious. You can check out all the tracks produced by Arches Mic Club on SoundCloud. The links are on our website. Our editorial board is Simona Marsh, Shelda Castor, Greg Fess, Jeff Loudon, Dean Wilson, Al Fowler, Laura Shaver, Dave Murray, R.I.P. Dave, and Sharice Kiwatton, R.I.P. Sharice. Crackdown's senior producer is Sam Fenn. Our producers are Lisa Hale and Alexander Kim. Our science advisor is Ryan McNeil, assistant professor and director of harm reduction research at the Yale School of Medicine. I'm Garth Mullins, host, writer, and executive producer. You can follow me on Twitter, at Garth Mullins. Original score written and produced by Sam Fenn, James Ash, and I. Our theme song was written by me and Sam, with accompaniment from Dave Jens and Ben Appenheimer. 
We make this podcast with funds from the Canadian Institutes of Health Research and the Social Sciences and Humanities Research Council of Canada, and from our Patreon supporters. Stay safe. Keep six. Need purpose and more compassion So stop stalling, this is a call to action Time and time again, all I ever did was lose Living in solitude, was paralyzed, couldn't move Pursuing a new direction was something I never tried But it's essential cause I'm petrified to die I'm tired of the crime, I'm just barely getting by But my life was interrupted, the element of surprise so now it's up to me, I gotta make a change Cause every day's a hurricane walking in the rain A different path is needed, I'm trying to find the strength I finally hit a point, I'll do whatever it takes Coming from the bottom as I'm crawling on the floor A fresh start with a journey that is pure I need to take the steps so I don't see an early death Look until I find gratitude, I'll breathe another breath So I'ma face it, I refuse to run and hide Through all the misery, I'm just happy to be alive People gotta be heard, so we speak these words yep. We trying to get the treatment that we deserve People need purpose and more compassion that. So stop stalling, this is a call to action Hit after hit, oh, targeted but I refuse I choose the right direction, I'm the realest as I've been Even though we off the grip, we targeted, we number one on the government's hit list Wanted dead, they come well equipped So all y'all was have to say, two steps to hit Cause you're running, you gotta dig in deep, dig in your sticks The genocide's vicious, comes in quiet and quick I had to keep on moving, like a stick With a sitting on the tip, keep on calm Tough as it gets, just as it get enough of it The only good ending is a dead ending Yep, that's a threat, that's a premeditated murder People gotta be heard, so we speak these words We're trying to get the treatment that we deserve People need purpose and more compassion So stop stalling, this is a call to action Gotta be heard, we speak these words We're trying to get the treatment that we deserve People need purpose and more compassion so stop calling, this is a call to action.